Welcome to New Shooter Canada. Please remember that the show's content and word pronunciation is simply the opinion of the hosts and their guests. Well, I like guns, and I like being free. Because I'm armed, you can't take that from me, and you should know it. Hello, and welcome to New Shooter Canada, episode 210. Thomas, how are you doing tonight? I'm okay, Mike. How are you keeping? I'm doing all right. How about you, Josh? Oh, I'm good. How are you doing, Mike? All right. And Amanda? Peachy keen, as always. That sounds wonderful. What have you been up to this week? Oh, you know what? Not a whole lot. Um, We celebrated Josh's birthday last week, so we didn't end up going to the range. But, uh, you know, uh, we do have plans to go to the range tomorrow. That was that. That was the plan because we're kid free this weekend. So we thought, well, let's make a trip and and make the best of it, right? So yep. it's just been one of those things. But uh, I have been working with a gentleman to get our um, website for the gun club set up. So unfortunately, it's just taking uh, a little bit more time. This gentleman is a, a website developer. Uh, who had just joined our club back in December. And uh, he's willing to give us a hand, but obviously his work comes first. So hoping to get that uh, running sooner rather than later. But other than that, it's been pretty quiet for me. That's about it. That's good. Josh, I imagine it's mostly the same. (laughs) A little bit of repeat there. (laughs) No shooting. But yeah, my birthday last weekend. So we we went ice fishing, took the kids out. Mm-hmm. Um, that was interesting. Did you get anything? Um, <laughs> not a single, maybe a nibble. I thought maybe at one one point I had a bit of a nibble, but it might have been, I don't know, might have been my imagination, but <laughs> nobody caught anything. Maybe no. uh, maybe they just lied about it being stock pond and they're just sitting there yeah, laughing at everyone there with a line yeah. in the water. Exactly. Just to get my, my uh, membership fee. That's all it was. They knew I wanted to go fishing. But uh, I don't know. We had four holes. We had four holes and and two people per hole and <laughs> just we couldn't we couldn't get it done so i don't know five holes didn't you? five no i i drove four you drilled four yep and uh we brought jeff out too and his his two girls and amanda's boys and my two girls it was a bit of a zoo out there on the ice but, <laughs> um, my my oldest and jeff's oldest stuck it out for the longest and and uh yeah it was too bad wish we could have got something at least one yeah. I don't know. And well, it, it was your oldest that's uh, interested in fishing, right? Yeah. 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 Well, Dawson was curious too, and he really, really wanted to catch one. So did Nico. But Nico's ideas of how to catch the fish were very interesting. So, <laughs> like, he started, he's like, You actually oh, have to have the line in the water to catch the fish. <laughs> yeah. So he kept pulling it in and out. But also, at one point, well, he's like, Okay, you hold the pole. And then I'm going to fill the hole up with ice and snow now, so they'll pretend, so they won't know that we're there. So he's like filling up the hole, and I'm like, "Don't do that, because I can't pull the line up." That. I guess it's a good theory, though, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he, 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 he had ideas. Yeah, yeah. He, it was definitely creative. But then they would go out to another area because they wanted to go skating, but uh, we had a big dumping of snow, so it wasn't shoveled off yet. So. Uh, they entertained themselves by trying to shovel off the rink area. So that was a lot of fun, yeah. I thought. I don't so know. Are, what do are, you think? Oh, go ahead, Mike. Uh, I was gonna say, are, are either of you, uh, you ice fish regularly? Oh, oh, no. That was my first time. Yeah, that oh, was okay. our first time. Okay. So we I, just I, thought it'd be a nice uh, family-friendly activity. Okay. And it was a beautiful day for it. It was, it was what, minus? It was cold, but it was sunny with no wind. So it was yeah, good. I was going to say yeah. minus eight, but they're, yeah. yeah, very sunny, no wind. So it was, it was perfect. So. Beautiful. But I figured how much different could it be than regular fishing, right? As far as technique, but. As long know. as it's not windy, it, it's, it's more than comfortable out in the lake. Yeah. It's when the wind comes up that you, that you pay for it. And you wish you had your hut. Yeah, no, we weren't we weren't going to invest in huts at this point, but it was a, it was a good time anyway. And actually, it was Josh's friend who ended up bringing the um, auger. Auger, yeah, so that we were able to drill all the holes quite swiftly. Actually, it was a pretty easy piece, and it was about ten to fourteen inches. No, it was eight inches or eight inches. Yeah, 
Oh, the, the ice? The ice. Oh, the ice was, was 10 inches thick. Yeah. yeah, that's what I was thinking. It was 10. So, yeah. yeah. That's good. Sounds like you had lots of fun. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Amanda mentioned that your club reopened. When did that happen? Last Wednesday? Yeah. A week ago Wednesday? Yeah, a week yeah. ago Wednesday. So we've been yeah. meaning to go. It just hasn't happened. So Yeah. That's good to hear that your club's open again. Yeah, we're excited to get there. Josh is a... I feel very rusty. Yeah, and you have a match coming up. Yeah, the uh, IDPA match that I was supposed to be in uh, in January is now bumped to March 21st. So. March 21st. And is that uh, is that run by Gavin over at... Uh... Yep, Gavin and Andrew, yep. And Benny. I think Benny's going to be there too. Oh, okay, I'm blanking on their podcast right now. Uh, Canadian Patriot. Team Patriot Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Or yep. Red Rock Tactical. Yeah, if it's a Sunday, then you'll be out. Yeah, he said he was going to go. Well, I don't know about the. I haven't asked him if he's going to make the new date, but he was going to go last time. But mm-hmm. um, so yeah, any any uh, any drills for me? He should let me know what I should be practicing because I've never done this before. Well, we'll talk about dry fire. Maybe I should be doing some dry fire. <laughs> yeah, I, I, it's almost like we should talk about it today in this podcast. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. it's a good mm. idea. Yeah, yeah, good idea. <laughs> anyway, we'll get that get to that later. Thomas, uh, what have you been up to? We haven't seen you in a while. Uh, same as everybody else. I'm still stuck at home isolating until until I get vaccinated. Um, <clears throat> I am on the waiting list for April, so I think my boss was glad when I told him I was not coming back because I. Uh, until I got vaccinated because he <laughs> he wants me well he wants me back but he's expressed a genuine concern about my health and Terry's health a couple of times because because yeah. of my lungs so yeah. uh, I'm on the waiting list so hopefully um, I can get back to work in April hopefully sooner than that but because once I get back to work then I'm going to start the uh, rentals back up again mm-hmm. yep. but you know it's kind of nice to, to work for a company that uh, cares about you for a change compared to my last employer so uh, and he also said to me i'll always have a job at the store which is kind of nice yeah um i did make it to the range last week my friend nick no showed me so i'm <laughs> able to throw him out of the bus he goes how about we'll go late i said okay i like going late he goes how about nine nine's good he goes how about ten is it ten's even better because then i can put the dog down for a few hours or put the dog to sleep put the dog down <laughs> so I get to range. <laughs> yeah, what, what what are you doing at the range, bud? Like, <laughs> so I went to the range and and I shot like crap. I'm having a real hard time with uh, with open sights with my eyes because with the trifocals, you've got a very narrow window that you've got to hold your head. So you know, I started at ten yards. And it was pretty good. Then fifteen yards, I was a little disappointed. And twenty yards, I was pissed off. Tore up my paper and I left. I wasn't I wasn't happy about it. <laughs> I, you know, if I'm going to get into shooting again, I center fire, I'm going to need an optic on it until oh, I get yeah. my eyes done. I, yeah. I have to, I don't have a choice. Um, and so, and the range did open last week, the range opened up too. So it's, um, there'll be, I know they were in the midst of doing the rentals just before Christmas, they were opening them up. So slowly, um, we stopped them the first shutdown, we stopped the rentals altogether, but we're going to do them in a very limited fashion again. It'll be not as many guns, not as many people, and it it'll be cut in half because we have to disinfect everything afterwards and everything else. So mm-hmm. hopefully, I have something to go back to in May. And anything else new? Um, oh, I got a new knife. I got the new uh, Ferrum Ford Stinger. Nice little knife. It's actually Ferrum Ford's is out of San Diego, and they had this made for them. Uh, it's made in China by We Nice. Really nice little knife. Um, Ninety bucks U.S. Um, Canadian. It's 150 bucks Canadian if you if you like these knives, but you can order these from White Mountain Knights in the states. They're 90 bucks US, and then our friend Jake from Canadian Cutting Edge still has his discount code. You type in CCE, you'll take 10 percent off anything out of White Mountain Knives. There's no taxes, and shipping to Canada is like eight bucks. Wow. So wow, that that's, you, that's cool. It's a good deal. The thing you risk though is it's a flipper. So mm-hmm. you risk it getting taken by customs. So I haven't lost one yet. Um, I don't always risk it. Sometimes I will pay the extra money and order it from Canada. But anything like my um, any of my slip joints or uh, like my old case knives I ordered, um, I just order them straight through. And I don't have a problem. But that's the one thing that you risk. If you see something that you really like, there's a possibility you could lose it. So, Or wait till you go down to the States and buy it. If they ever let us over the border again. Oh, yeah, that's a whole nother. Yeah. They better. 
Yeah. Kind of surprised you took the leap on another Chinese knife, Thomas, after your last uh, your last purchase. Uh, well, you know what? The Civivi really impressed me. It was really nice. The action. And they're made by Wee Knives. And the uh, the Ferrum Forge got such great reviews. I just... And it's perfect. It's nice. What I did is I've got... I, I switched to skinny jeans. I think I talked about this last time. <laughs> I was going to so say, where's this conversation going? <laughs> I now understand how our friends in the States worry about their guns printing. Because if I'm at work and I've got, say, my Mannix too, it's a big freaking knife. It's And it's... With these pants, you can see I've got this. I'm not happy to see you. You can see this great big <laughs> knife in my pants, right? So, <laughs> Is that a knife or are you just happy to see me, Tom? Yeah, exactly. But if I wear like my regular jeans, it's no problem. I can put a, a great big pocket knife in there. I can put a knife in every pocket and you're not going to see it. But these skinny jeans, you see it. So I, I, I decided to get a couple of knives that are really small that won't print. So that's why I got this one. Okay. Very cool. I have a knife problem. I think there's 12-step meetings for people like me. <laughs> I used to have a gun problem, but I solved that. You work at a gun By store. By replacing you, it with a with a knife problem. With a knife problem. I work at a gun store, so I don't have urge to buy any guns in my house. But <laughs> we don't sell any good knives, so but we do sell some good knives. Just nothing I'd be interested in. Yeah, it's a cheap, it's a cheaper hobby, anyways. A lot cheaper. <laughs> it's easier to say, "Hey, hun, can can I spend one hundred and fifty dollars?" So at Christmas, what did she get me? Um, like the Mannix too. It was. But shipping and taxing was like two seventy five by the time I got it here, and then the uh, titanium piece was like another fifty sixty bucks. So there's a couple of knives I spent over four hundred bucks on. So she's been pretty good about it. And then I mentioned uh, I wanted a Sabenza, and I showed her how much they were, and they were like six fifty up to like thirteen fourteen hundred, and she said no, buy gun instead. So. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Mike? What have you been up to this week? Uh Quite a bit. Well, not actually quite a bit. Just uh, I feel like more than usual for winter time. Um, I bought a 629. That okay. happened completely by fluke. So if you don't know what that is, that's a Smith and Wesson revolver and 44 Magnum. This is the Canadian edition with the 4.2 inch barrel. Um, this came about in a really weird way. Uh, a coworker that I used to work with. He works a different area now, so I never see him. Um, but anyway, I had talked to him years ago, and I'd even taken him and his girlfriend at the time to the range um, years ago, and he randomly sent me a text message and said that his mechanic is looking to sell this gun. So I got in touch with his mechanic, and I talked to him about it, and apparently this guy, he bought this gun and a bunch of other ones, and, uh, you know, he shot with the with a few friends that he had a lot of fun. He loved shooting, but then all his friends just kind of disappeared. They all moved on, had different hobbies, moved on in life. And he ended up just being the only one. He said, you know, he, he did it for social, for, like he liked shooting, but he also did it socially. So, you know, he just kind of thought he was going to get out of it a little bit. And he had actually sold off all his other guns and this was the only one left. And he kind of decided that he was just going to sell it and buy something else that he'd be interested in a different gun. Asked the the local gun shop that he took it into to see what they would give him for it. Uh, gave him a very low offer, so he said, "Screw it, I'll just try and sell it myself." So, yeah, so that's how I ended up with it, and the transfer went through in nine days, which I oh, have good. never had a transfer go through that fast, even when I bought one from a like a gun from a store. Wow! Wow! So, so I was quite impressed with that, and actually, I went today and picked it up. So, uh, yeah. So what did what it cost you? I got it for six hundred dollars. That's wow. a steal. That is a steal, and I felt bad when I bought this from <laughs> the guy. And I even kind of like I didn't say straight up, you know, like you could how much he could be charging for this, but I I kind of hinted at like you know how like you know that you're giving this to me at like a smoking price, and he said yeah, but the store was going to give him even less. Wow. So he was kind of just happy to like almost just to move on from this, right? How old's the gun? Um, I think he said he bought it in 2013. But he said he put less than 100 rounds through the gun. And I imagine it's because he had other stuff like 9mm and 22s, and I think he also said he had a Smith & Wesson 500. What what store did he did he take it into? East Hill um, Outdoors. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, no, he took it into uh, that hunting store. Not familiar with it. it. It's a small little brick and mortar gun shop. Um, the only like, if anyone knows it, that besides locals, they probably know it because they run a lot of uh, Facebook auctions, or not auctions, uh, <clears throat> uh, sticker draw, sticker prize draws, or whatever you call those, where you buy a sticker, and if you win the sticker, then you also happen to win a gun with it, kind of thing. You know, it's funny when I I took my I had a Smith and Wesson model twenty nine two, so we had the pin barrel, uh, recessed chambers, and everything. And I got it for a smoking deal, because the the guy the guy the guy the guy died. The wife had brought him in the gun club and all the guns. So when I took it up to, I told John Williams what I had, and he said, "Well, we normally give this much for it." I said, "Okay." So I brought it up. He gave me more than what he said. He I he think he gave me six six and a quarter for it. Okay. 650 because it's you know he, he knows he's going to get over a grand for it so yeah yeah well like i said i felt kind of bad but at the same time like this is a smoking deal and he was he happy was... to sell it to me and I, I chatted with him for like 20 minutes today when i picked it up and you know he was happy with everything he did, wasn't upset about the price or anything so oh cool we'll take yeah. him shooting one day yeah well i told him i said like hey if you're into it for social reasons i'm like hey i'm a i'm a member at uh, smith falls like, come on out. Like, we'll go out sometime. And he's like, yeah. yeah, that sounds like fun. I said, I also run, like, you know, multiple different kinds of games, too, at the club. And I said, if you're interested in it, like, that could be a good way. If you want to, if you want it to be a social event, come, come to matches. You'll make friends and you'll come out. You'll be hanging out with your buddies for a couple hours outside. So hopefully I'll, uh, I always give people the spiel to try and get them into the shooting games. So now you've got a mechanic. Yeah. <laughs> Which I is did funny. That with the hairdresser too. I was uh, drumming up the whole uh, the whole game, and I th I just thought it was really cool. And the girls are like, "But really?" And I'm like, "Yeah, really. It's, <laughs> it's fun to talk it up." Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Especially when you're passionate about it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, no, it's good. And I would say, sometimes, yeah, sometimes that's all you talk about. Your non-gun friends don't appreciate it. <laughs> I don't understand that. What are non-gun friends? Exactly. I've got a couple of friends that are one of my best friends is non-gun and he's liberal, but he's not anti-gun. But uh, yeah, it just sort of glazes over. I start talking about guns. So yeah. I don't have a lot of friends that uh, well, I don't have a lot of friends just because, you know, I don't like a lot of people, but um <laughs> Yeah, Shift I'm work, trying to man. think. I'm trying to think now. I can only think of like one person who's not a gun person, and he. I take him out to the range, and he likes it. He just doesn't want to spend his money on guns. So, yeah, yeah. There's a few. As long as they're not anti. Oh yeah, none of them are anti. But oh yeah. So I got this. So I haven't actually taken it out to the range. Obviously, I just started looking for ammo, and I found out uh, you can't really buy bulk ammo for it, which is kind of upsetting because that's normally what I do to start my brass collection. Um, cause hunting ammo is like a buck a shot, which is, you know, a little pricey for me for getting into it, but I guess I don't really have much of a choice in that. Maybe I'll look around and see if I can buy some brass and reload my own, but that means I need to buy another set of dies and oh boy, this is going to get expensive quick, <laughs> but not always the way yeah. to reach the spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did tell one of my friends who has a 44 already, and he is quite excited because they've been bugging me to get a 44 for a while because they want to do a 44 Magnum IDPA match, and we are going to create our own little subgroup just between us, you know, nothing official, um, and we are going to call it the 200 plus Power Factor Division. So we are going to shoot full power 44 Magnums in it. You gonna get matching shirts and stuff? Or? No, no, because it's just gonna be a local <laughs> level match. But oh, I have a feeling that's gonna be one painful day after shooting 100, 150 rounds through this gun. I'll lend you my 44 carbine. It'll be cheap too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. But yeah, pretty happy with it. Not much else to say about that. Um, I did test the primers. We were talking about that a couple episodes, I think, with Thomas. Um, after I reassembled my 627. I and I had the lighter trigger pull. The question was brought up: Will it set off all the primers? So I loaded up a couple empty cases with just primers and shot them off, and everything went perfect. So I'm quite happy that my trigger pull is under seven pounds and it is functioning perfectly. Excellent. Actually, yep. you're worried about that. Yeah. 
Yep, so I don't have to buy anything, at least not yet. No new springs yet. Um, yep, uh, besides that, uh, I've I've already cleaned all my brass. I realized that uh, I didn't shoot a lot this year. Usually over the winter is when I clean my brass, and I spend like a month of nonstop cleaning. Cause I can't clean a lot at once because I have a very small uh, wet tumbler. But yeah, it, did not, it only took me like less than a week to clean it all, so I need to shoot more. Yep. That, and uh, I finished my bullet feeder. The clockwise, counterclockwise motor actually ended up working perfectly because apparently that motor is set up so that if it if it's jammed, if it gets too much resistance, it'll automatically turn in the opposite direction. So that actually works even better because now with the bullet jammed it, it'll automatically kind of unjam it itself, which is, which is nice. Uh, I was a little worried that I had bought the wrong motor and I was going to have to wait for another one to get shipped over from China and... But no, it worked out well, and I have it all set up now and working adequately, I'll say. So it's just the bullet feeders motorized? Yes, yeah, the bullet feeders motorized. So essentially you take your, your bullets and you just dump them into this bowl, I'll call it, and there's a collating plate, so it will pick up, it'll pick up the bullets and it will, through various methods, it will make sure that they are the right way up. And then it drops it down a tube, which goes down to my bullet feeding die, which will, every time it cranks up and, oh, okay. and it detects a case, it'll put one bullet onto the case. So I don't it have to do speed, it myself. Should speed things up a little bit. Yep. Uh, the downside is, is because I do a separate crimp station, I lost my powder check. So, yeah, I'm going to have to make sure. Just going to have to be extra sure that my uh, my powder dropper is dropping and that it's full of powder, but... I rarely get squibs and like even with my powder checker before, usually the only time I ever had like low rounds and I always caught them, it was usually because I was trying to finish off what was less than the hopper and I just got to the end and it's just, you know, you're getting down to the crumbs anyways. So I'll just have to not do that anymore and just make sure that my powder hopper is always well stocked up. Um, I did some dry fire as per usual. I actually tried. So I listened to a podcast and he talks a, little, a lot about dry fire. We'll talk about that later. But he, uh, he actually said something. I thought, oh, that'd be interesting to try. He said dry fire while you're on the treadmill. Because in competition, if you stop every time to take your shot, then you're, you're wasting time as opposed to the person who can take shots while they're on the move. So so I set up some targets in the basement and I tried dry firing on the on the treadmill. It was That's a that's a good idea. It was an interesting learning experience. <laughs> <laughs> that well, sounds like a funny story coming up. Well, my my basement is about fifteen yards long. So and the treadmill is conveniently at one end. So I set up a target roughly five yards, ten yards, and fifteen. And I found out like, yes, I can I can very easily hit a five yard target while walking at I think I had it set to like three miles an hour which is just decent walking speed for me. And uh, 10 yard, I could hit that relatively easily. Like I could probably like nine out of 10 shots, probably could go into the A zone without much effort. But boy, once you put a target out to 15 yards, it's almost like it just shrunk in half. It became like, I realized how much effort and concentration I had to put into, you know, when I'm taking my steps so I can control the bounce, control the whole gun and everything. So I mean, it's a really good learning experience because right now if I went to a match and I was looking at a target and I thought, oh, I could take that on the move, I know in my head, if it's 10 yards and in, I can take it no problem. If it's 15 yards and out, like, no, I'm probably better off just to stop. Hmm. Good good data points to collect on that kind of stuff. Yeah, that was interesting. Yep. yep. And, and do, you ever, do you ever live fire on the range while, while like, practice walking and, and firing? Yes. Yes, I do quite often. But the difference is that with, when you're walking and shooting, like out on a live range, how fast are you moving? Right. Right. You don't really know, and it's kind of hard to tell. Not that. Not that now that I know I can easily do that at three miles an hour. Not like I'm going to go to the range and know. Oh, I'm walking at exactly three miles an hour. <laughs> but it's interesting to kind of, you know, because I'm walking and and you kind of get a sense of like, okay, like how how much effort do I feel like I'm putting into this walking? Right? Am I into a jog or am I a quick walk? Am I a slow walk kind of thing? So. That kind of information. But yeah, I do practice live fire moving forward and backward and side to side. But but oh, I've, wow. nev I've never done... The other difference too is because on a treadmill I'm standing still, if I shoot a 10-yard target, if, well, I'm dry firing a 10-yard target, 
it's at 10 yards. Doesn't matter how long I walk for, it's always at 10 yards. But right. when you're doing it at the range, you know, you might start at 10, but you're at five at the end, right? And if you look at your shots today, oh, well, half of them were good. It's like, well, did I take the good one to 10 yards or did I take all the good ones at five? Right. So, yeah, just, uh, mm-hmm. like I said, good data points for me. Well, I was thinking, then you can, you, if you get the proper pace all the time, then you don't have to slow down for those long shots if you just maintain the same speed. Yeah. And that's the other thing. I'm like, because I could make those 15 yard shots, but like I said, I just realized how much, how much more I had to focus in order to get those shots, right? Like I had to focus more on like me walking to make sure that I was pulling the trigger at the right time, as opposed to when it's at like five yards, I'm not even paying attention to my walking. I'm paying like a hundred percent attention to that target. So. Hmm. But, I'm just thinking too the, the trade-off too. Like if you start going faster, then your heart rate increases, your breathing increases, your your natural momentum increases. So it's actually probably better to slow down a little bit and shoot on the move than go fast, slow down, fast, slow down, fast, slow down. Uh, yes and no. I, I once it's very stage specific, right? Whether it's worth yeah, it or yeah. not. So true. Yeah, but I mean, when I'm doing it on the treadmill, like when I, I ended up doing it for like an hour, just because why not? And so, like, at the end of it, like, I was tired just from walking on the treadmill for an hour. Or not tired, but, you know, I, I'd been doing it for a while, so. And you lost what... weight. You trained and lost weight, so. I have lost weight, but I don't think it has to do with that one hour of standing, <laughs> walking three miles an hour on a, dry, on a treadmill. No, but it will definitely kind of go into your whole yearly goals and resolutions to yep. try to lose some more weight again. So, yep. building in your passions and yep. it definitely. It definitely made me think like, oh, I wouldn't mind doing this more often. So awesome. Yep. Let's see a dry fire on an elliptical. <laughs> <laughs> With man. music playing. <laughs> I'm just trying to think, like, man, yeah, that would be really hard. That's a very up and down machine. <laughs> it is. <laughs> yep. And then the, the last thing I did is based on a suggestion to switch to round node bullets to be able to speed up my reloads faster. I uh, found a company, Frontier Frontier Bullets. I'm not sure if the, I, I assume that's what they're called. I just refer to them as Frontier. And uh, the only dealer I could find is like about an hour and a half, two hours away. And I ended up driving all the way out there to buy 5,000 bullets from him. So hopefully, uh, hopefully they'll work out and... Next time, um, I don't know. I'll end up buying like as many as I can fit in my car before my shocks give out, so that I don't have to do that drive very often. Yeah. It's a lot of lead. It is. It's yeah. I, well, I think I I did the math before I went just for fun, um, and it's over twenty pounds for every thousand, so I had over a hundred pounds in lead, which you might not think is a lot, but it's in a very small package. Totally. Yep. That's when you want a dolly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, there's been a few times, like when you're carrying boxes downstairs or like the bags, camp pros come in bags now. Like, yeah, you, I might be able to fit more in my hand, but I, can't, my legs can't carry anymore, or my grip can't take it. No, I can imagine. Yep. It's pretty heavy. We, if we get a shipment in, I have to put a lot of it in the back warehouse or on display, and by the end of it, you're, you're toast because it's like. The ammo boxes are, especially the bigger ones, they're 40, 50 pounds a box. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of them don't really have a great way to pick them up and carry them either. Mm. Anyways, so tonight's main topic, if you haven't already guessed, is dry fire. So the first question is, what is dry fire? Dry firing, technically, is just pulling the trigger with on a firearm with no ammunition in it. However, the term has been greatly expanded to include virtually all firearm training that doesn't include ammunition, or at least live ammunition. So that includes pulling the trigger, reload, draw, transitions, moving, getting into position, target tracking, and even function testing, right? You got to test your gun after you've taken them apart, make sure they work. That's technically dry fire. True. Yep. So the big thing we should talk about after that is what number one rule of dry fire no live ammo uh you should <laughs> you should already know that like that should be you know basic information but it's really got to be pounded into you uh 
But yeah, you should you should already be following your prove. You know, make sure your gun's empty when you pick it up when you first start. Check it again, even again when you when you move somewhere else to dry fire. Check it again. Not gonna hurt. Make sure there's absolutely none in there. Uh, also, whenever you dry fire, make sure there's no ammunition that's readily available or around you that you might accidentally pick up. Uh, check your magazines if you're practicing reloads. Um, if, make sure they're empty if it's okay to be empty. Um, if you're using dummy rounds, you know, make sure that they are actually dummy rounds. If you're using magazines and it's already loaded, take them all out. Make sure they're all dummy rounds before you put them back in. Um, you, you don't want to accidentally cook off around in your house. Um, even if you live out in the country and you're not going to hit anything if you put a hole through your wall, um, you're still going to have to explain to your significant other what that noise was and why you hung a new picture up on the wall. Oh, not going to go well. Yeah. That wouldn't be good. No. Yeah. No. If if your spouse is anywhere near on the line of whether guns are good or not, that will answer her question for you, and you're not going <laughs> to like the answer. So, just let off a live primer in the house and see what happens. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so yeah. So make sure that it is empty, no matter what. Check it. Check it again. Check it one more time because, like I said, you don't want to. Um, you don't want to make mistakes, right? I mean, I always dry fire in a direction where well, I, I dry fire in my basement. So theoretically, if a round went off, it's good, even if it went through my foundation, it's going to go into dirt on the other side. Um, but even if I'm function testing and I'm not function testing, I don't know why I'm not function testing in my basement, but just say I'm not, um, you know, don't point it at the room that your wife is watching TV in the next room over or two rooms over, right? Drywall does not stop bullets and you will have a very bad day, obviously, if something went wrong. So be careful with everything you're doing. Don't point in a direction where someone might be. I understand if you live in a, you know, in a subdivision or in a, an apartment building, you know, you can't really, you don't really know where your neighbors are and it could be very difficult and, if you're in the city, there's pretty much people in every direction, but that makes it even more important. Make sure that gun is empty. It, it's so important. That's why we, we keep drilling it into your head because even experienced shooters have brain freeze. You, you make a mistake and that mistake can be deadly. So yep. always yep. check. Yep. And what I do, is I dry fire in a separate room where my guns and ammo and everything is stored. So when I go into that other room, there should be nothing in there. There's no reason for any live ammunition to be even around. So I will go into the other room. I will check my gun again, and I will check any, well, in my case, moon clips, and make sure that I have only dummy rounds with me because I do not want a mistake, right? Um, oh, yeah. So after that safety warning, uh, I did want to give a little uh, credit to uh, Steve Anderson and Ben Stoger as they are probably the main driver to my dry fire. Uh, I have both their books, um, and I listen to both their podcasts. Uh, so if any of my information sounds like any stuff that they say, it probably is because, you know, I've accumulated a lot of information from them as well as the Internet. To, so if you hear anything that sounds familiar, that's probably where. And if you're interested in trying to find out more information, those are great ways, great great places to, uh, to go uh, get more information about it. I just subscribed to his podcast. There you go. Ben the Stoger. Steve, Steve oh, Ben Stoger. His podcast is a little bit more entertaining than informative sometimes, which is not a bad thing. I'm not th- criticizing that at all. Steve Anderson becomes a little repetitive, but it is very good information, and it's not a bad thing to get some of his uh, information beaten into your head over and over again so that you don't forget things. Just thoughts on that. And both of them, usually their podcasts are relatively short, which is something I really appreciate, (laughs) which is ironic because our podcast is like an hour long. And I'm like, no, I I don't listen to hour long podcasts. I'm like a 20 minutes and end kind of thing. Yep. Anyways, so we'll move on. Uh, What is this dummy round I keep talking about? So if you don't know, they are inert pleat cartridges. So you can buy them. They're often referenced as snap caps. Uh, some come with a spring-loaded primer. So if your your hammer comes down on it, uh, it doesn't come in contact with a, an immovable object over and over again. That can cause damage to your gun. If it, uh, depending on what actually stops the primer or your uh, your firing pin from 
you know, continuing on and just falling out your gun when you pull the trigger. That means it's going to hit something in some point in time, and that means your firing pin could break. So that's why people will use uh, things like snap caps that don't have an immovable object. Uh, another popular one that they come made out of is aluminum. Um, and they just have a filled in portion of it. Personally, since I am using custom ammunition and also I do my own reloading, I will take an empty case, no primer, not even a previously enjoyed one, and I will sheet a bullet in it. So no primer, no powder, completely empty. Um, it's a good idea to take something like a Sharpie and color your bullet or the case to make it really quickly and easily recognizable as a dummy round. This also comes in handy because you don't want to accidentally try and shoot your dummy round in a match. I know yes. that because I've tried I've, it. I've it doesn't work do it. very well. <laughs> I dropped the moon clip in. Well, actually, I wasn't at a match. This was actually when I did the course. And uh, me and uh, Jay were going head to head. We were doing like a little shooting contest. And actually, you know what? I can't remember if it was me or Jay. One of us dropped the moon clip in and it was completely empty. And it was like, well, that kind of sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, yeah, so you can take a Sharpie. You can, I've heard of some people say paint, but I think that's a bad idea because I've also heard of the paint chipping off from repeated use, and you don't want paint chips inside your inside your chamber, inside your barrel, any of that stuff. So, And the Sharpie will just come off when you clean the brass anyway. Yeah, and it, a Sharpie will also come off over time. So, I mean, you just draw it on again. It's not like it's hard, right? Um, can, I just, can I just add one thing? The only thing I would suggest not doing is getting any of the plastic dummy rounds, uh, especially for rim fires, um, because the plastic will shatter and break. The shotgun ones, they the edges, they do um, they thin out and they get jammed. So you're always better to use a metal snap cap compared to the cheaper plastic ones. It'll just save the aggravation using the metal ones. Or drywall anchors. Uh, yeah, actually, I've, they'll have the same thing, though, after a series, especially in a rimfire, after a series of time, it will thin out and it will break the drywall anchor. So hmm. they do work. Yeah. So when you say the plastic ones, I'm trying to think I don't have any of those. Um, are those often like the snap cap ones? Because I've seen a few of them. And like, I guess to show off that they're the spring inside there, they use, I assume, clear plastic. They so can see those it, but work- I don't actually know what the rim part is made out of. Those ones are good. I have them for my for my forty five with um, with the moon clips, and it actually it's the the bullet part itself or the casing is plastic. It's transparent, mm-hmm. but the 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 case head is brass, and the firing where well, the firing pin contacts it is brass, and there was a spring inside, so you, you don't chew up your firing pins. It does it, it absorbs all the energy. Um, there are ones, especially for rim fires, where the outside is plastic. There's no metal. It's all plastic. And after a couple of fire, you know, it's okay if you just want to do one shot through it. But if you start doing multiple shots, the plastic does fall apart. Oh, wow. Hmm. I've, I've had to get them stuck out of 22 barrels and out of uh, shotgun barrels before. So plastic's not good. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you're lucky if you find it, right? You're really unlucky if you don't. You're unlucky if it actually slips into the barrel. Because they, 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 yeah. That's what I mean. If it breaks and you don't oh. find it, you're going to have a bad day. Because it's a very thin plastic rim, and you dry fire it, dry fire it, and then you open it up, you don't see it because it slipped down. Mm-hmm. It's possible. Yeah. Yep. I just wanted that at one point because I've had uh, I've had issues with plastic snap caps. Yeah. So I usually make my own, or I'll get the spring loaded ones. Yeah. Yeah. So you might might wonder why we keep calling them. I keep I refer to them a dummy round. Well, like like the dummies in Parliament, they don't ever actually do anything. So. That's why you want them. You don't want them going off. Um, I have heard that some people will also use uh, some sort of glue or like a, I don't know, some, something like a glue or a, I'm trying to think, what's that material? It kind of comes out rubber and caulking kind of material. And they'll use that to fill in if they make their own homemade reloaded uh, cases because they don't want the the, prime, the firing pin going forward. Uh, I've never really had a problem with that because I don't actually pull the trigger a whole heck of a lot when I'm dry firing, considering how long it actually takes me to go through my dry fire routine. Um, but yeah, that's another thing to consider if you're worried about your primers and you're doing your own home stuff. That's the way epoxy. That's the word I was looking for before epoxy that you can use to fill in the, uh, the primer pocket. Cause that will be a little soft. So it's not hitting an immovable object, but it also makes it so that your cases will never be usable again in a real er, loaded live again. So. I've tried using uh, uh, erasers 
because my when I bought my CZ, it came with plastic snap caps with replaceable uh, primers and their erasers. Oh. But they only work, you get maybe 20 hits out of them, and then it actually starts putting a hole in the eraser. Oh, really? But it, So if you just want to take the pressure off your firing pin, it's fine. But I wouldn't be using them for practice, though, because they'll, they'll wear out really fast. And uh, she also mentioned that some fires, like older 22s and even some of the modern ones, will actually damage the gun if you repeatedly dry fire them and you don't use dummy rounds. So you want to be aware of that. Uh, I think you brought that up quite a few times, Thomas, because, of course, where do you find out? I did it myself. I was going to say in the manual. <laughs> well, that's, it's funny. It depends. Well, that's right. You should read the manual because the Ruger will tell you that it's safe to dry fire the rim fires and the Brownies will tell you it's not safe to dry fire the rim fires. So that's why the general rule is not to dry fire them because your firing pin's just hitting the chamber and eventually you'll put a little burr on it and then you'll have to take it to the gunsmith or, or Mike with his deburring tool and he have him open it up for you. So, yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, uh, that's why I mentioned the plastic because I damaged one of my guns with the plastic snap cap. I hadn't realized that the whole piece had, had snapped off, and I dry fired it about a hundred times, oh, and wow. I put a nice little burr on my Browning. Yeah, I wasn't happy. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, so there are some cases like that where you absolutely must use a dummy round, otherwise you will risk damaging your firearm. So, what other gear do you need for dry firing? Pretty much, you'll need the gear that you normally use in competition. Um, in my case, I need my gun, my belt, holster, moon clip holder. Uh, I wear my shooting glasses because they also have my prescription in them. Not that they're any different from my regular prescription, but I do find that sometimes there's a bit of a weird effect because I have uh, it's an insert. So I like wearing my actual shooting glasses just to make sure that I'm aligning my eyes properly for that prescription, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. You're, um, you can hold your head differently with the different glasses. Yeah. So I do it with that. Um, sometimes I'll even wear my, my earmuffs um, if I'm doing something to that I need to test them specifically. Normally I don't because I'm also listening for kids. But <laughs> but sometimes you, it's good to practice, especially if it's something that you're worried about might happen with earmuffs on. Um, if you're worried, uh, I don't know what. Like I know some people, if they do their... Uh, if they draw from surrender, so hand above shoulders, they will touch their earmuff with their thumbs or something like that at a reference point to where to always start their hand. So in the case like that, you'll want to wear your earmuff when you're when you're dry firing so that you have that actual repeat, repeatable spot. Um, I'll wear similar clothes to what I shoot in, meaning, you know, no big fuzzy warm sweaters or pajama pants. You know, um, you can train how you like. But I like to keep my dry fire and training as similar as I can to when I go to a match. I don't want to feel uncomfortable or like I'm doing something different when I go to a match. I want to make it feel like it's just any other day. It, it's important too, though, because if you change, like the clothing that you wear is going to impact how you shoot. So if you go and you decide to wear a really tight jacket, that's really, really going to restrict your arm motion. That's going to make a big difference. If you normally shoot in really good running shoes that give you support and traction and you show up in your cowboy boots, you're not going to do very well. <laughs> I feel like there's a story behind that, Thomas. No, no, no. I, nope. I've seen people do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Also for me, where my belt rides on my pants and my shorts will actually change i've noticed some pants seem to ride a little higher some ride a little lower also yeah, um depending on how you i set up when i put my holster on i base i set it up so that it's based on my hip bone and the reason for that is because it doesn't matter what pair of pants or shorts i'm wearing or shirt my hip bone's never moving relative to the rest of my body um and I learned this because I used to do it based on where a loop was on my pants. And then one day I went to the range with different pants on. And I was like, <laughs> hey, there's no loop here to reference this off of. Not a big deal, but I like being as consistent as possible. Consistency is, I think, key to winning this. So. It makes a difference. It will. Yeah. Yep. The last thing that you may not have is some sort of timer. Um, I use an app on my phone. Uh, I, I, I do not, I don't like the idea of wasting my dry fire time, changing my part time on my actual timer. Like it does work for that. It is kind of loud. And once again, I have kids and I tend to dry fire at 
you know, when no one's up, hence why I actually have time to dry fire. Um, but I find that on a timer, you know, a little button, it all works and you can do a part-time, but if you're constantly changing it, I just find it to be a bit of a pain in the butt. Um, the one I have, I can preset in like different drills and I can set up the timer for for each one. So it's just simple. I just switch, like hitting an arrow to the next uh, drill. And what, what app is it? Uh, it is the, the dry fire part-time tracker by CSL 1911 a one. I just stumbled on this one, but right now, like I said, I really like it. Um, I like it because you can open up the advanced settings in there and for each drill, you can set up how many reps you want to do, how much of a delay there is between each rep, um, even a special one for your start. So if you have some sort of weird, for example, if you're going to start with your gun out and maybe you want to put some dummy rounds in it for the very first, for the very beginning of the drill, you can set it up so it's a little bit longer, so you have a little bit more time. Um, but yeah, there, it'll automatically change part times as you go. So I have it set up so like after I do so many reps at one time, it will it will start shortening up the time to speed me up. Um, I can also randomize the start time, so like by a certain amount. So I think I have it set to plus or minus a half second, and that's just good because depending on your drill and depending on how good you are at keeping cadence you can start predicting when the beep will go. And obviously if you know when the beep's going to go, then you're not really getting the benefit of reacting to the beep. Um, sure. yeah. So yeah, and it all, it all saves all my drills. So like when I, it does take a little bit of time to set it up, but now, now I just go downstairs. I just open up the app and all my drills are all set up all with all the original, with the times I put in. So even if I get a little bit faster and I change this, uh, one of my part-times a little bit, you know, smaller, it will remember that. And I don't have to go in there or read my notes and figure everything out every time. So that's why I, I like that one. Um, you might notice that I did not say anything about it hearing my shots. And that's because I, I found that most uh, dry fire timers, at least the ones that I've tried, if you're trying to get it to hear the click it won't. From, from dry fire, yeah, you spend more time, you'll waste more time tuning the sensitivity up and down because, you know, your kids are running around, all of a sudden you need less sensitivity. The furnace turns on, you need less sensitivity. And, oh, your phone's not placed in the exact same position as last time, or you're doing a dry fire drill where you're moving and you move away from the timer and it stops picking them up you know, and you need to start turning it back up or your phone's not even facing the same way. So the microphone's not facing the same way. It is, I just don't find it very beneficial to do that. Um, and if you dry fire anywhere near the way I do, I honestly don't pull the trigger that much. Um, and that's just the way I do the drill. I'm more focused on everything else other than pulling the trigger, which is kind of ironic I'm dry firing. Um, I tend to focus more on that separately and not while I'm doing everything else. And one of the, one of the things I've heard that it is good to keep those things separate. And the reasoning is, is because if you're dry firing, just say your draw and you're trying to beat a time and you're basing it based on whether the gun went click or not before you actually, before the second time went off, you might start pulling the trigger when you shouldn't be pulling the trigger, AKA, you know, you're not on target. And let's even just say you're, it's going to be a bad shot. You're going to be in the Charlie and, but you want to be, you know, testing your skills as for a hit shots. Um, you know, you might pull the trigger a little early and say, Hey, the click went off. I must've made it. But if you don't pull the trigger, then you have to actually look at your site and be like, did I make it or not? That's just the way I've done it. And, and you know what, to be honest, I like it a lot. Um, also, for most semi-autos, you're only going to get one pull of the trigger anyways before you can't. So if you're doing a multiple shot drill, there are some issues with that. With the revolver, I could technically pull the trigger every time because it is a, it's a double action only. It's going to be the exact same weight, the exact same pull every single time. Like I said, there are some things you can do to kind of get around this, but nothing will be perfect. Um, but yeah. The only downside to not doing that is if you're doing drills where you're supposed to take, I'm air quoting here, two shots per target. I found that I am very good, or not very good, but I've gotten a lot better at doing single shot targets where you're just taking one shot at a target, live fire, than I am if it, they change it to three shots a target. All of a sudden, I don't know what it is. I just can't seem to do three shots a target because I'm so used to going so fast. I, it's almost like I can't slow myself down to do that third shot. What kind of targets are you using? I'm using real targets. 
before we move on to that, though, um, with all that I said about this app and how much I like it, um, if do do any of you guys dry fire with a with a timer app? No, I know I've, Josh now does with my timer app, but does... I'm, I'm just looking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, if any of the listeners have a, their favorite dry fire app, let us know what it is and let us know what makes your the one that you use good. Um, and as Thomas said, the last thing I haven't mentioned yet is targets. Uh, my basement's about 15 yards long, so I don't use scale targets, aka miniaturized targets. Um, they can be great if your space is limited and you need to, you know, simulate being a little bit further out. Uh, I use actual targets that I shoot in competition because I have room to do it. Um, I did start out using printout targets, just like, you know, your standard eight, eight and a half by 11 pages. Um, however, there are a few issues with it. Uh, one, they're all white, which in most games, like, I guess if you're doing something like bullseye PPC, your target is black and white, you print it out and that's going to be the same target you shoot at. But for me, no, sh or white means no shoot, which means that you get penalized for shooting it, which means you're dry fire. You're literally training yourself to shoot the wrong targets. So that's not good. No, that's one of the reasons why I don't necessarily like it. And I don't want to waste a whole pile of brown ink just to make my piece of paper brown. Um, second issue I have with them usually is there's no scoring lines on them. So this can make it a little bit harder to assess if you're aiming in the correct spot, especially in games like IDPA and IPSC, where the target's A zone or down zero is not in the center of the target. They're actually like offset. And in IPSC, they're odd, it's an odd shape. It's like an IDPA, it's a, it's a perfect circle. In IPSC, it's, I don't even know what the heck to call that thing. It's kind of like a, a stretched out stop sign, the A zone. Um, and the third thing I don't like about it is that there are target lines on it or scoring lines on it. Uh, the reason why I don't like that is because when you're dry firing, you'll be training yourself to shoot. Like you may not be shooting at the whole target. You may just be shooting at the circle that's on the target. In the case of IDPA, you may be training yourself to shoot at that black ring circle on the target. And when you go to a match, you can't always see quite often. You can't see the perforated line. So they're not very deep. Um, and it's meant to be that way. But it means that if you are so focused on always shooting at a black circle and all of a sudden it's gone, then you might have issues with that when it comes to actually shooting, shooting live. Hmm. With all that said, they're a good way to get started because number one thing is they're free. Well, except for minus the cost of paper and some ink. So, so don't use it as an excuse not to start training, but move. If you take your dry fire real serious, it might not be a bad idea to move on and either get yourself some miniature targets if you need miniature ones, or if you have the space and you can go full size, use them. Uh, I've never bought the miniature targets, but I know they're available in various places online. I'm pretty sure a double tap sells them. You can pick exactly which ones go for your game. So you have your target. Um, any questions so far on setup and, and or gear? No, uh, no, nope. that was good. <laughs> awesome. No, that was very comprehensive. Okay. Uh, so, did anyone hear dry fire? I've, I've played around with it a little bit, but I, I don't have anything near to a routine. No. Um, and, and I do find it a little bit uh, less enjoyable with like a with a striker fired because I have to rack the slide every time I want to pull the trigger. It's not like a revolver where I can sit there and just keep pulling. Yeah. So it is a little bit more annoying, but yeah. Um, yeah, I when understand that. <laughs> yeah, when when you're actually doing the trigger pull dry firing, mm -hmm. is there any drills specifically for that that you'd recommend? Like, you, do you basically just hold it at the target and then try to watch and see if you're moving at all while you're pulling the trigger? Or what do you do to, to know that you're getting off a good trigger pull? So I don't do this drill anymore. I'm, I'm not trying to sound cocky in any way because I still miss targets. I still, you know, get bad hits. But when I, I don't do a lot of that, but when I started out, I did. I did a lot of focusing, really hard focusing on my sights and my target, whatever it is. Um, lots of times it wasn't shooting necessarily at a target. Sometimes I would even just shoot at like a line on the wall, a horizontal line. And it was more about keeping my front and rear sights perfectly horizontal while I pulled the trigger. Right. You're, you're, you might jerk your trigger left or right, and you'll probably notice that. But I mean, more likely, your biggest thing is going to be going pulling the trigger up and down. 
and by that i mean like re anticipating recoil or just yanking on that trigger so hard that you pull the gun down um so i would recommend doing that and when you get good at that where you can relatively keep the gun steady and it doesn't have to be perfect i'm not saying you can't you know it has to not move at all you're not a statue i'm definitely not a statue if you could see what i see when i shoot you'd be like why the heck are you even pulling that trigger um, <laughs> but now what i do is uh and i don't know someone might have given me this drill like i said i have so much information in my head from dry firing over the years i don't know where i got it all from um now I do a drill where I have my timer set up for, it'll just keep beeping at me randomly, you know, like a second and a half apart. And what I do is I have the sights on, on the target. And it's not so much about the target in this case, but I have my sights on the target just because I need to point them at something that's just me. Um, and I, my finger's on the trigger and there's, I'll say there's pressure on it. And I just mean that in the sense like my figure is up against it. It's not pulling the trigger at all. It hadn't taken the slack out or anything like that. And what happens is as soon as that beep goes off, you try and pull that trigger as fast as you can. You try and beep, beep the beep, meaning that you, you make the gun go off before the beep is finished making its, you know, half or not even at half second. It's like a, a quarter of a second or something like that, or 0.1 of a second. You try mm -hmm. and pull that trigger faster than that beep will go off without moving your sight. And you'll right. find that sometimes, and I don't mean this in the sense that like you do it a hundred times and you'll get it sometimes. I mean, you'll figure out how fast you can actually pull that trigger without moving the sights. Um, right. And like, I'll fully admit with my left hand, there's not a chance. Am I going to beat that beep, <laughs> but it will go off shortly after. And part of the reason for this is because I want to be able to have my gun up on target. And as soon as my brain says, oh, good, everything's lined up, pull that trigger right now, right now. I know that my body will be almost trained to pull the trigger at the correct speed that I don't actually jerk anything and cause my sights to move off target. Right. And that's the why, that's why I do it my way. And obviously I'm still watching my sights. So, I mean, if I yank the trigger down or left or right, I'm still going to see it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And I kick myself for screwing up all the time. But like I said, when I switch over to my weak hand, I want to go as fast as I was doing, you know, freestyle or even strong hand. And, you know, I got to smack myself and say like, no, you can't pull the trigger as fast with your weak hand without disturbing the sights. So. Mm -hmm. it's, a, it's about learning your limits too right i had somebody once i had someone once recommend to me that every time you go to the range to spend uh, a dry fire session before you start live firing and then when you're done live firing to do a dry fire session afterwards as well that that would be recommended good training have you ever heard anybody say that before yes i've heard that plenty of times um yeah. i think it's i think it's a great idea um i try to dry fire before i practice i dry fire before a match I mean, what better way to, you know, you get to a match and you're all jittery and you, you haven't practiced that morning because you rolled out of bed, grabbed your bag and went, drove an hour to the range and you're about to shoot a match and you're all jittery and excited and that coffee hits you. What better way to kind of remind yourself about how, how to shoot, as dumb as that might sound, what better way to remind yourself how to shoot, but then go to the safe area and dry fire for a little bit. Um, yeah. Like I said, it's it was... about knowing your limits. So you'll, you want to make sure that you're not, you don't have any inflated ego issue when you go step up for that first stage to screw stuff up so makes sense yeah, i think it's a great idea i do that all the time i do it at matches i especially do it at match if i show up to a match and they have some really obscure start position right they say i've never had a match like this but if someone never said oh you have to stand on one foot and wave with your right and drinking a cup <laughs> drinking water with your left hand you or can walk on a treadmill <laughs> yeah, or walk on a treadmill. You can bet your bet your butt that I'm going to go to that safe table and I'm going to recreate that start position as best as I can safely. No ammo, everything you know according to the rules of all the games, and I'm going to try and recreate that situation so that I'm not prized by it. So that I don't, when I step up to the line and I go to shoot, I don't feel uncomfortable going, oh, I wonder how this is going to go. I'm going to say to myself, I know exactly how this is going to go because I've already done it. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah. Really? And that can be true for if you ever go to a major match and you get the match booklet ahead of time, you can flip through it and you can see, is there some funky start position or is there something like, oh, wow, the guy who who designed this match really loved weak hand shooting and there's a ton of it. 
you know, you can incorporate more of that dry fire ahead of time so that you are prepared for it when you show up. Not only are you not worried about it, but you're also thinking in your head when everyone else goes, whoa, there's a lot of weak hand. This is going to be terrible. You can just laugh inside, you know, laugh silently and go, haha, I've been training for the last three weeks all weekend, so I'm ready for this. But, yeah. What about uh, Thomas? Do you dry fire at all? I haven't dry fired since I started stopped competing. Oh, yeah. There's no point. Yeah, I can, get, I can get out of the holster real fast, but you're trying to find the frickin' sights is going to take me. <laughs> yep, and I understand that, right? Dry fire is not necessarily for everyone. I think it's great when you first start shooting as a way to almost build confidence and get comfortable with, especially if you buy a new gun, to like get comfortable with things before you go to the range, because why not iron out those little kinks before rounds start going off, right? And spending all that precious time and money at the range. Um, if you're very serious about competing and you want to do well, you got to put dry fire practice into your routine. It'll yes. it'll make a major difference. Yeah. I have heard people say upwards of 90% dry fire, 10% live fire. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I mean, even if you, for me, I dry fire now, right now I'm dry firing about six times a week for about an hour every time. So I'm dry oh. firing for six hours a week. Um, I haven't been to the range since December. I know it's winter, but I mean, even in the summer, you know, I might go to the range once a week for maybe three hours if, if I'm not shooting a match that week compared to six hours of dry fire that week. So, yeah. Well, I'll have to see how the new dog is with the timer because with Colt, I couldn't dry fire in the house. I had to dry fire in the garage because every time that timer went off, he howled and howled. And I didn't hear it because I'm downstairs and I do like Mike does. I, I double plug when I shoot. I double plug when I... Everything I do, I repeat downstairs. So I've got double plugged. I can't. I can. I can barely hear the timer. I can't hear the dog howling. Yeah, I got yelled at a few times, so I started to stop. Yeah, that's that's a good point. I never even considered yeah. that. Now, mind you, my kids can stand at the top of the stairs and they know I'm dry firing because they hear that beep, beep, <laughs> like, and they know. Daddy's downstairs. The, yeah. Well, also, no, my son can't go down the stairs. My daughter can. Um, I've also. Like, I don't want the kids around when I'm dry firing. And the odd time that my daughter is down there because I have to watch her and I'm dry firing, like, I am very strict. Like, you do, like, we're going to treat this like a real range and you are going to have to stay behind me. So you can't just come downstairs when I'm dry firing. You have to make sure that I'm safe before you come downstairs. That's a good idea. Yeah. I wasn't 100% thrilled with the idea of having my kids around when I'm dry firing because on one hand, I mean, it's, on one hand, I don't want to teach my kids that, like, oh, yeah, you just pick up a gun and pull the trigger. Not that that's what I'm doing, but that might be what they think I'm doing. Um, but on the other hand, I also want to instill good values in my kids and be like, hey, if you want to get good at something, if you're passionate about it, you need to practice. You need to put in the time and the effort to get better at it. So kind of that, uh, applies, that applies to anything. It, it really does. And that's why I want to instill that good value in my kids. But I mean, like I said, I'm, I'm not, I'm not always thrilled about my kids seeing me dry fire. Now, mind you, my daughter, as young as she is, she dry fires her gun too. Not very often, but from time to time, she wants to air quote this play with her gun. So we dry fire <laughs> because, and I make her check that it's empty. I make her go through all the safety and like, I'm never leaving my kid. There's no ammunition. I don't even use dummy rounds with her. Cause I don't even want her to think that some ammo is okay. So how old is Leela now? Four. Five. She's four this year. She'll be five, whatever, later this year. So, so I mean, like she is young, but I mean, you get her on good days, you get her on bad days. Some days she can recite the, you know, the action prove no problem. Other days she struggles with it. Just depend on how recently we did it. So that's pretty good for four years old. <laughs> yeah. Oh, she's been doing that. Like I've been getting her to do action prove, or at least the act part of it, the four rules. Oh boy. Like I think, bef no, she must have been talking at that point. I have a, I have a couple of books, uh, kids books I got about firearm safety. Um, of course, out of the states. Um, so they're I a think, little, I they apply, they apply a little bit differently. Cause they're like, Oh, mommy and daddy are carrying a gun. And it's like, well, we don't carry a gun everywhere, but like a lot of it's still the safety principle of it. You know, what do you do if you find a gun laying around, you know, what are the safety things you do, you know, or these like, are the books from Benny, from Benny's uh, uh, store. I don't know if I got them both from Benny. I got one of them from Benny. Um, Oh, great. I, I know his name starts with a J. 
um, and I don't have them here because I'm not with my kids' books. Uh, the other one I know is the Julie Golub one. I got that one. But you just go over it, and it's very it's very basic because, I mean, it's for a kid, right? And you're just trying to teach your kids safety stuff. You're not te trying to teach them how to shoot. You're just trying to teach them, like I said, what do you do if you found the gun, right? Because, I mean, we even had this issue, not issue in the sense that my daughter found a gun, but we told her, you know, what do you do if you find a gun? You, 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 you go find an adult. And I said, well, what do you do if you can't find mommy or daddy, right? And she's like, oh, well, I'll find my cousin. She's an adult. And I'm like, well, no, she's 12. She's not an adult. Well, she's bigger than me. Bigger does not mean that they are an adult. So, <laughs> you know, you have to explain some of this stuff because I also, I want my daughter to be the responsible one that, I don't know why, but let's say they ever come across a gun. I want my daughter to be the responsible one who tells the other kids also to essentially F off, don't touch this because, you know, this is, this is dangerous. And just because I'm not touching it doesn't mean that you should, because there are other kids who out there who may not know better and may think it's a toy, may even think, hey, I'll, my, my dad knows guns. I'll pick it up and I'll take it to him, right? I want my daughter to just not even touch it and just come and find us to begin with, so. Yeah, that's the best way. I feel like that was a bit of a tangent. <laughs> no, that's all right. Yep. It's a good point, though. I mean, anytime your kids see you doing anything with firearms, you want to make sure that you're responsible. Yep. And I and I want my daughter to like know the rules. She comes to the range with me all the time. Well, not at, not much lately since COVID, but she was coming to the range. Her and Sarah would come and watch me shoot a match or something like that. And, you know, all the rules apply, all the safety rules, staying behind, like staying back so you're not getting in front of the shooter. You have to wear your eyes and ears. She will go around and yell at people for not wearing their earmuffs or their, or their <laughs> eye protection. I love that. Yeah. Well, I mean, she's four. She's a little bossy pants, right? <laughs> she's king of the world on that range and who's gonna say no to a four-year-old right there's nothing I, worse than being centered out by a little kid on the range because yeah. you're not doing something like at apple at the apple seed that little kid if, boy if you didn't put that chamber flag in or your safety wasn't on you got reamed and it's very embarrassing yeah so i mean she literally stole a granola bar out of someone's hand once at the range so she has confidence <laughs> did she really no way yeah. at the range she did and it's it's funny like he's a friend i don't think my daughter necessarily realized that she was friends with he was friends with us but yeah she went she's like i'm hungry can i have your granola bar and he's like yeah okay and he had like three more in his bag and he's like have kids too i know how this works like you just give them a granola <laughs> bar get another one and they'll be happy so yeah he's a great guy hey everyone mike here uh apparently i really like talking about dry fire and we ended up recording a very long episode, so I'm going to actually cut this off here, and we will release the second half of this. Uh, there is a lot more dry fire and a lot more fun banter coming your way. Uh, we'll see you next week. Well, I really like 22 Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or feedback you may have, or if you just want to call shenanigans. You can contact us at host at newshootercanada.ca or through our Facebook page. I like the shiny steel and the polished wood. I don't care if they're big or small. They're for sale till I want them all. I like guns. I like guns. I like guns. <laughs>